Hello and welcome back to another episode of GBA's monthly tax policy podcast. I'm pleased to be joined this month by Josh Outens from Holland and Knight Law. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So obviously there's a lot going on in the tax policy world right now, a lot of focus on the new international tax proposals from the Biden administration, as well as from certain members of Congress. And over the past few weeks, GBA has been doing a series of dozens of meetings with policymakers to discuss some of these tax issues. But obviously everything is tied up in the Biden administration's proposal for a new global minimum tax, which is also playing out at the OECD. As we sit here right now, uh, everyone in the tax policy world, I think, has been focused in on uh, the eventual coming Green Book that we're expecting that will provide more details on some of these proposals, specifically how the Biden administration thinks that the shield may work, what they exactly want to do with guilty FDII and so forth. As we record this, it's 11 a.m. on Friday, May 28th, and Treasury has told us that the Green Book is coming today, and we're expecting it um, kind of any minute. I've, I've heard 2 p.m., so maybe a few um, hours from now, but I know Josh and I will, will be spending a lot of time with the Green Book over the weekend and I hope to get something out to GBA members soon. In the meantime, I thought that it would be helpful to use this podcast to focus in on the state of play with the rest of the world, because the Biden administration's proposal really does require uh, a lot of other countries to go along with it in implementing a new global minimum tax, uh, at least specifically big market countries. And this conversation has been going on uh, for years now with the OECD and the Taxation and Digital Economy um, Project, but uh, obviously there's been a lot of new developments. And Josh, I know you're in the middle of that, so uh, let's start there. And I would just ask you, you know, where do things stand at the OECD and what should we be paying attention to? Absolutely. So, Kevin, not only is the Green Book coming out today, but the G7 is meeting today. And I think all indications are that the G7, which does not include Ireland and does not include the EU as a delegate, will sign on to or reach some consensus or agreement to continue moving forward on the inclusive framework at the OECD. And that will feed into uh, the G20 meeting in July, where we think the G20 countries will agree to move forward, continue moving forward uh, on the inclusive framework. We will then likely see another blueprint that reflects developments. Um, so, for example, Pillar 1, the United States put an additional proposal on the table to move Pillar 1 uh, amount A out of consumer facing and automatic uh, automatic um, digital services or ADS to the top 100 or so companies um, based on size and profitability, size of revenue and profitability. And so we expect a pillar one draft to reflect that. And then obviously there have been additional changes to pillar two as the OECD and inclusive framework think about how the the different rules should work together. And then, then there's the United States has proposed a or as a as an opening bid uh, a 15% global min tax rate. So we'll see a second blueprint in October, and then the G20 meets, uh, the leaders meet on October 30, and more importantly, Halloween. And so maybe the treat or trick, depending on how you look at it, will be a full agreement at the OECD, and then it will likely take years to implement, to turn the agreement into legislative language and a multilateral instrument that 
the 130 plus countries can adopt. Yeah, very good. So a long process ahead of us. And, and it's interesting, you mentioned an opening bid for 15% global minimum tax, but that wasn't the opening opening bid, right? Uh, the original uh, proposal that came over a few weeks ago was at a 21% global minimum tax. And the US has already moved that down to 15% here, which I think everyone thought was going to be necessary at some point anyway. And you also mentioned that the G7 meeting doesn't include countries like Ireland, and it doesn't include the EU uh, as an entire block. So can you speak a little bit further about why Ireland matters, where Ireland is, and um, what you think they're going to be looking at when looking at a 15% rating there? Absolutely. So I think Ireland's been fairly vocal at different conferences uh, and meetings that it is not like a 15% rate. The Irish corporate tax rate is 12.5%. Um, it views that rate as important. It has um, provided a catalyst for having multinational businesses establish significant operations in Ireland for manufacturing to research. So Ireland is quite defensive about that rate, and um, they do not appear to support it. Now, that is an important point because a, a few reasons. Number one, Ireland is part of the inclusive framework. They're also part of the OECD. And the goal of the inclusive framework is to get unanimity uh, on uh, a series of proposals that could be implemented across the globe. Second, Ireland is part of the EU. And while I'm not a European Union expert, uh, my understanding is that tax provisions require unanimous agreement amongst the countries. So Ireland, as a member of the EU, if it doesn't support the 15% min tax rate, then it, it can't be adopted in the European Union writ large. So that would create uh, some problems for the success of Pillar 2. Now, it's also important because to date, uh, the countries <clears throat> have signaled uh, that the two pillars are tied at the hip. Although some countries have signaled privately that pillar two is, there's much more agreement overall other than the rate. Well, I'll just leave that aside, but there's a lot, there's agreement of the, at a high level on how the different, the four different rules should operate. But, uh, so that might be an easier lift just to implement Pillar 2, but if Ireland is not on board, uh, it's not going to be implemented in the European Union. So that's that's a that's a big sticking point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly a big sticking point and a, a, a obstacle that needs to be overcome for the Biden administration moving forward. You know, speaking specifically to Pillar 1, I think that there, and you mentioned that maybe there's more agreement on Pillar 2 than there is on Pillar 1. Just to go down that rabbit hole a little bit, it looks like my understanding is that a lot of the other uh, international players on Pillar 1 issues want to ensure that all U.S. big technical companies are included. And the U.S.'s proposal to look at the top 100 largest companies by uh, revenue with this, this profit um, indicator that, that I think we still need more details to understand exactly how it would work might exclude some very large companies but that have um, lower uh, profit margins than you might expect for uh, for tech companies generally. And specifically, that's Amazon um, that, you know, makes a lot of money off of its retail business. Um, 
online retail business and, and doesn't have as large of a profit margin there. Do you think that those um, those problems can be rectified and we and pillar one has a, a path forward or, or do you think they're still kind of stuck at a hard place there? Yeah, so uh, it, without naming specific companies, I think the the issue is tied to the original proposal for pillar one involves segmentation which meant looking at business lines and profitability on a business line perspective that would have been very challenging for countries to and taxpayers to calculate uh, profits tax rates etc based on uh, on segments and some larger you know multinational businesses have multiple lines of business some are more profitable than others and if they are tied together which is what the u.s proposal would do it would eliminate segmentation and just look at the top 100 uh, then some of the profitable digital services could be offset by less profitable other services so you're you're right kevin that um you know the goal is to uh, of some countries is to go after all of the digital economy country uh, companies, which is where ADS uh, automatic digital services fit in. And so I think we're, we're gonna see an evolution of work on pillar one. The countries are going to discuss the US opening bid, which is looking at a profit level indicator based on and size of revenue. That will uh, lead to, I suspect, more work on how to scope in other companies that uh, first for a variety of reasons other countries want to scope in um, and then but there's still like tremendous amount of work that has to be done for example the surrender jurisdiction who's going to surrender the tax um, if it's a let's say a german multinational that fits into the top 100 is that german multinational if it's if it is a if it's going to be paying an amount a is it surrendered all from Germany or does some come from the United States as well, where some IP might be held? Um, does a third slug come from, I don't know, Mexico, hypothetically? So it's very, it's unclear how the surrender jurisdiction system will work. Uh, and we've also heard recently that for uh, amount A, dispute resolution is going to be very complicated. Um, so think of it like a pie. Right, we have. Uh, let's say we we know the pie is going to be a hundred dollars, and that is going to be divided between thirty countries. Uh, countries might disagree on the size of the pie and think the pie should be a hundred and twenty, based on addbacks and adjustments to financial statements. Mm -hmm. Then, then alternate, and then some countries are going to say, well, my market share is bigger than what's listed and so i get a bigger piece of pie which means someone's going to get a smaller piece of pie so how right now we have bilateral dispute resolution we have arbitration um but how is this going to work if you've got a basically a company and the surrender jurisdiction in a cage with 30 countries it's going to be fun and interesting definitely so you know high level takeaway here is that there's a lot of unanswered questions and there's a lot of work left to be done on pillar one and, and on pillar two, I believe in the global minimum tax issues there. And some, some folks who have strong voices in the discussion 
that um, may not be satisfied at a 15% rate uh, moving forward. You know, one country that we haven't mentioned yet, but is always um, the elephant in the room and has been a focus of U.S. policy and competitive, international competitiveness policy for a number of years now is China. Where is China on all of the above? Yeah, so China is making some noise uh, in the background. They don't like Pillar 2. Um, they're not big fans of Pillar 1 as well. Uh, I have not seen an official position, but let's be clear, by scoping in 100 of the largest companies, some of those companies may be Chinese. And the question is how, so I think, there are two questions from the for pillar one for the United States. One is, let's say some of the market is China. Does the United States feel comfortable disgorging some of amount A to China? Alternatively, um, Chinese companies are going to have to have good books and records and accurate financial statements to to, to determine whether. A Chinese multinational may have to disgorge some amount aid to the United States, and mm -hmm. and so I think there's some uh, reluctance uh, on the Chinese government side to do so. So that is, you're right, that is an elephant in the room, and it's going to have to be solved. And uh, I think it's not just uh, the policymakers at Treasury and and in China that are going to have to figure it out, but. Uh, I suspect members of Congress will also want answers to those questions. Exactly. And uh, I think that that's a very salient point. I mean, if Treasury is going to go up to the Hill and discuss uh, the deal that they are working on in Pillar 1 and the deal they might think that they have, and it involves, as you put it, disgorging parts of Mount A from U.S. companies to China, that seems like it's going to be a very hard sell. Um, yes, and Kevin, it might be worth noting on the hard sell that Congress is going to have to take two bites at this apple on pillars one and two. The first is implementing in local law pillars one and two, and then to make it work the to make it work well, the United States will need to sign on to a multilateral instrument or amend as soon as possible, it's bilateral treaty network. And that is gonna require the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to mark up a lot of treaties for one significant multilateral instrument, which we generally don't sign on to for tax matters. And then the Senate will have to support those treaties, which requires 67 votes. And mm -hmm. That is going to require a tremendous amount of work on the administration's behalf to get a bipartisan group of senators to support those treaties. Right. And, and let, let's unpack that a little bit. So the treaty work would be required for both Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 to be implemented? Or um, would if they were to get severed, um, for instance, could the global minimum tax in Pillar 2 be done without having to revisit U.S. treaties? Yeah, so that depends on linking rules, and in the case of sandwich companies, uh, the United States could decide to turn off its guilty if the parent jurisdiction has adopted Pillar 2. Or alternatively, it could be done through the treaty network. 
So I think you're right, Pillar 2 could move on its own and it's possible would not may not require um, changes to treaties. Although we'll have to see how the shield operates because uh, the shield is our you know, version of uh, the subject to tax rule. And so we'll have to see how that operates and whether there is a treaty imp implication or not. Um, but it's, it is possible for the United States to implement Pillar 2 without a uh, treaty change. Right. And it does seem like the administration recognizes the difficulty that tax treaties have had, um, e even just addendums and so forth over recent years in, in the Senate, and might be trying to draft shields so that they don't, um, you know, poke that particular bear. However, we don't know that yet, and we'll, we'll be getting some more details on that, you know, in, in the coming hours and days, and hopefully we'll have a little bit more clarity there moving forward. But regardless, it's going to be a long way forward. And I think that your your point as to how it influences how they draft the shield raises kind of the next big question is like, okay, so we've all been looking at the international scope for a while. This is the latest state of play of where the countries are and where the obstacles that still have to be uh, hurdled. But what does that mean for the tax debate on the Hill right now? Um, what, how do these, how do these issues affect what the Biden administration is trying to do in rewriting international tax policy? And do we have any insight as to, how concerned Congress and members of Congress are with how long uh, this international process is going to be as they look at possibly being a first mover and, and putting the U.S. into th these new positions uh, before the rest of the world comes along. Absolutely. So it, it will be difficult for the administration to propose a 21% guilty rate. And at the same time, everyone knows that the U.S. is pushing for a 15% minimum min tax rate. So why would the U.S. adopt a 21% rate when we're going to push the rest of the world to 15%? That's a significant delta. And I think that this Treasury has signaled that they intend to include anti-inversion provisions. And so if I was a policymaker, it would beg the question, why why should I support a 21% rate with anti-inversion rules when the rest of the world is may adopt 15%? So I do think that it does beg the question whether that 21% rate even survives discussion or debate in Congress. So I suspect we'll be looking at a 15% rate uh, for guilty and Perhaps that takes you know, makes some of the members a little more comfortable um, mm -hmm. because the current rate is ten and a half percent, but it's really thirteen and, a, and an eighth with the prorated foreign tax credits. So it's possible, you know, if you you could restore full foreign tax credits and just move the rate up, change the deduction percentage, and get there, and that might be a you know that might be sufficient. So there are. Um, so I think it's we're going to see an evolution of the negotiation strategy of the administration. Um, and I think the members are listening. Obviously, we have some members in Congress who are all on board in increasing the guilty rate and increasing uh, in moving to a country by country calculation for guilty. Um, but there's a lot more silence at the moment in the House and the Senate from members who are waiting and looking to see how this plays out. 
and yes, it is a, it's a powerful argument, Kevin, that the United States should not act first. I mean, we've already acted first on guilty, and we are trying to push a similar system across the globe. Uh, not quite similar because guilty doesn't operate as a full, as a top-up tax, um, but we are trying to push some iteration of guilty, and it 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 would be strange for the U.S. to be once again a first mover and further uh, further tighten the guilty regime. Right. I, I again, I, I'm pretty big problem there. That seems like a it doesn't have a, a ready made solution. Sticking in the guilty regime and and um, in this basket, uh, let's talk a little bit about Cuba because I think that we have some of the same problems when you look at. Uh, you know, a member of Congress's perspective, a policymaker's perspective of why the U.S. should be taking on uh, President Biden's proposal to remove the Cuba exception if the rest of the world in getting their new gold minimum tax is going to include Cuba in whatever that is. And what I've been hearing is that that is still where most of the OECD is, and they, they would like to have some sort of exception there for, for tangible assets and, and profits related there, too. Right. That's correct, Kevin. So I think there's two pieces to that. The first is, yes, QBI or some iteration of it is alive and well in Pillar 2, and and many countries support some carve-out for what what I'll refer to as the ordinary returns. Second is the concern that I think we'll start hearing is that if we eliminate Cuba, the U.S. will be moving to a pure worldwide system. There are only four countries at the OECD that have a worldwide system, Israel, Korea, uh, Mexico, and there's one other country I'm blanking on. And I, I don't, I think the U.S. does not view those as its pure competitors. Uh, it might view a China, um, a Germany, uh, France, uh, England as more is more similar than dissimilar, and those countries do not have a pure worldwide system. So eliminating Cuba would tax guilty all of it would tax everything is either guilty or subpart F income. Nothing would be exempt from U.S. tax and these amounts would be taxed at different rates. So that, that that's a big uh, shift to have moved from pre-2017, we had a worldwide system with deferral, um, then we, we switched to a quasi-territorial system that uh, with, with exemption for the amount up to QBI, which could be significant for some companies, and then now we would pivot to a full worldwide system without deferral. That is a that's a huge lift, um, and I, I do think members of Congress will begin hearing that those points, and we'll have to think it. We'll have to think very hard and carefully. Do they want to move in that direction when the rest of the world is not going to follow us? Right. And that was a big selling point for TCJA when it first came through in 2017 is that the U.S. was kind of an outlier in these uh, amongst countries that, you know, are, are leading uh, economies of the world and that we did have this worldwide system and we moved to this partial territorial. And now it looks like we're coming back. And, and you do sometimes wonder from a, you know, from my, like a government affairs standpoint, 
how much of this is folks wanting to undo the TCJA because it's the TCJA and, and came through from the previous administration and so forth and, and revisit some of these decisions based versus actual strong feelings about tax policy. But leaving that aside, so and we've covered a lot of the issues that guilty has, the, the Biden administration's proposed guilty reforms have and, and the uh, problems that they're going to have on the Hill and how that relates to everything that's going on at the OECD and negotiations about a global minimum tax. If the guilty changes um, die because of these problems and the Biden administration ends up at 15 percent and has to keep a QBI exemption, what, if any, impact does that have on the debate around beat reform and the shield? So I think the beat is it's we've had a very productive conversation with Congress over the last three years. GBA has really been making the case that there are a lot of infirmities with the beat. It was not well designed and road tested before it became law. And we've done a very good job. I mean, GBA and its members have done an excellent job of making the case of, of different fact patterns of why the beat is really a zombie tax. It just eats away without any rhyme or reason. So I think the, and Treasury recognizes something has to be done, which is why it's proposing the shield. Um, we know that Senate Finance and Ways and Means also agree that something has to be done about the beat. So I, I do, I'm, I'm positive that we're going to see modifications to the beat. I can't say whether it will be the shield or not, um, but but we will see changes to the beat. and. Part of the pillar two discussion is a rule that operates perhaps like the shield, although it's it, the subject to tax rule has allocation keys. It, it's quite different, um, but there could be enough similarities at the end of the day that that the United States adopts a rule that looks very similar to what is in pillar two. So I think the two the, the discussion is actually extremely constructive. It will help the OECD avoid replicating the beat, which was really one of my biggest concerns as we saw uh, as pillar two um, development began uh, back in 2019 so this is this is all i, I think we're, we're moving in a better direction in the debate hopefully we'll end up in a much better result <laughs> that's that's to be seen <laughs> yeah it, it is indeed to be seen along with a lot of other things um so josh i want to thank you for your time it's always enlightening to hear from you these issues are very top of mind obviously uh, for folks listening, we will have more material for you and analysis and so forth on what we learned from the Green Book and the budget uh, as it comes and, and as quickly as possible. And we will keep this conversation going um, as this debate moves forward. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Josh, for being with us.